Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we're committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I am Ben Cook, the account lead from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policy of their organisation. I'm delighted to be joined today by Richard Snowden from South Central and West CSU. I'm going to be talking all things EPR, challenges, cultures and effectively digital transformation uh, going forward. Obviously, thank you for making the time, but if you could give a little introduction as to who you are and, and what it is you do in SCW. Sure thing. Thanks, Ben. And hello, everyone. Good to be here. And thanks to Ben for the invite. So hi, everyone. I'm Richard Snowden, a digital transformation program manager here at South Central and West Commissioning Support Unit in the NHS. Been with SCW now for just over four and a half years. Been in my current role for just over a year. And it's been a fun ride so far. So I'll cap it there, Ben, and we'll go into the next bit. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I think one of the, the, the key points that I find in terms of feedback on these LinkedIn lives is people want to know a little bit more about, about the person, about the, the background of sort of what it is that they do on, on a daily basis. So maybe if we could start with a little bit of an overview in terms of, you know, why did you join SCW and, and what your, your day-to-day entails? Sure thing. So joined SCW back in January 2019. Prior to that, had been in consultancy, mainly in change management, process management, service improvement, working with not-for-profit organizations, housing associations, local authorities, the police, quite a variety of clients looking at anything from quite granular processes all the way up to organizational change and improvement. And basically the move into SCW was in part driven by wanting to be part of the NHS and looking to expand on those process and change management skills that I'd been picking up through the consultancy work and looking to get more exposure with digital change and digital transformation because in the old role it was very hands-on looking at processes and people and that's obviously a huge part even for digital change but you know the scope for change within the NHS is vast so wanted to be part of that and be closer to have that feeling of being closer to the front line and hey, making a difference to the front line. Definitely. No, that's, that's really interesting to sort of have a little bit of a, a background in terms of why people make the moves. And obviously everyone wants to, to do the best and provide, you know, what they can for the NHS, but obviously interesting, the truth and sort of heading the, the digital transformation. Is that because you saw what was coming in the years to come and you wanted to be a part of it? A little bit, but also like we've all experienced with just going to your GP, you know, you see a lot of quite 
manual, quite, dare I say, archaic looking processes still in play, phoning for an appointment on a Monday at 8.30 with the rest of the cohort in that GP practice, having paper records, for example, it's all ripe for change. So that was definitely a part of it. But, you know, healthcare was a sector that I hadn't been involved that much in prior to January 2019. So it was definitely a sector that I wanted to get involved in because the scope for change and the ability to make a real difference is really clear and was really attractive to me in in that rather than changing a process for a, a housing association which has benefits for the residents you know this is mass scale this affects everyone healthcare affects everyone so mainly around scale mainly around opportunities for change and mainly about impact interesting yeah definitely and i imagine not too long into the move was that when the epr became the sort of the new hot hot topic in terms of the new outline set by the government um and obviously you know driving that forward is that did, did you go into that straight away how, how did that sort of come about dealing with the epr specifically yes it didn't come about for me straight away at all only been on that work stream for the best part of the last year prior to that had been involved in rolling out microsoft 365 to what was then clinical commissioning groups yeah ICSs as they were forming and to ourselves within the CSU and prior to that had some exposure to shared care records which obviously has very much a link with EPRs and is definitely part of the family so also had involvement on Lloyd George records and the move off from paper in GP practices to a a digital system within primary care but obviously Electronic patient records has become a very big area which SCW is now involved in and is supporting, you know, a very big program. And it's a beer moth, as you will know, as listeners will know, in terms of the journey that a organization will take in order to pre-procure, procure a new system all the way through to getting their money, buying it, then going through all the implementation steps, thinking about your benefits, your change management, your technical architecture, all the way up through to testing and go live, and then thereafter, stabilization, optimization, and if necessary, any recovery work if things haven't gone to plan. And as people will know, that journey can take anywhere between 18 months to two years or even longer, depending on organization size. So it's a very big arena, a very big space, and very happy to be involved in it, to be honest with you, Ben. Yeah, it just seems large scale across the, the whole of the NHS, doesn't it, at the moment? Um, so interesting, the different areas there. We, we've had a question come through uh, from Natalie. So thank you, Natalie. Um She's just sort of asking, what are the key skills required to drive these transformation? Well, yeah, a nice uh, niche one to kick (laughs) off. No, thank you for the question, Natalie. It is appreciated. Well, to state the obvious, a vast variety of skills are needed. You need that 
people and stakeholder relationship and management skills in order to get buy-in both at senior level and at the front line to bring people with you because change will not happen if you have that if you do not have that buy-in you obviously need a vast array of technical expertise ranging from integration data migration and everything in between and thereafter in order to build connect make sure things from legacy systems are sorted out before switching over you'll need expertise in testing cutover you need all sorts and i think that what i've just touched upon is not an exhaustive list but these are the big ones i guess that come to mind when i'm thinking of big transformation programs like eprs or anything really i would say buy-in is absolutely key if you don't get that buy-in early doors and set your stall out and be clear both on roles and responsibilities but setting that vision that direction of travel having that clear purpose classic stuff that you'd have in your project management toolkit around PIDs and all of that stuff locked down signed off approved all the relevant people consulted so that you're getting input from everyone that you need to at the right time yeah there's i could go on and on but I'll, I'll clap it there because you know there's plenty to unpack within all of that it's really interesting isn't it that the, the, the large length of these epr projects if you haven't done the fundamentals to lay the foundations to begin with and make sure you've got that buy-in you could go through the whole process and then at the end of the day if the engagement isn't there then from the, from the clinic clinician side of things it's just it's just not going to work is it Exactly. And as we all know in secondary care, how busy the front line is, put on top of that strike action, put on top of that the usual operational pressures, put on top of that the seasonal change with winter pressures. It's a lot and priorities chop and change all the time. But obviously those top ones will remain in and around the top five. So digitalization can be competing with a whole number of other things that's vying for senior bodies attention right and it's an obvious point but that stakeholder engagement that regular communication that buy-in is so key because to not get that initially or to lose that throughout your duration like you said ben you just don't get things done or you don't get things done in the way that you planned or you wanted to and things don't go as well as they could and it requires remedial action yeah i think they've um they've extended the deadline officially haven't they for all hospitals but i think a further year to 2026 now so i wonder if a part of that is having to go back to the start in terms of making sure that they've got that buy-in and that engagement and they, they've laid the foundations um it's interesting that's, that's another question around sort of how do you get these uh, buy-in with busy clinicians um given the amount of pressures there are in the healthcare? Well, a multifaceted approach, as always, is no one size fits all for engagement and buy-in. Obviously, face-to-face, -face, regular calls, regular forums, regular meetings, whether that's small scale or big scale, getting people, the right people in the same room at the same time, 
and delivering key updates at the right point, obviously targeting your messaging, targeting what you're trying to say in terms of, well, that level needs to hear these types of headlines, whereas this level needs to hear a bit more detail. And I find all of those things, which will depend on who you're talking to, each organization has its own set of cultures and behaviors and decision makers. So it's all about tailoring your approach as well. So not any combo of that multifaceted approach won't be a template for the next time you do something. You might have to tweak that, shift things around in order to connect, to build a relationship, continue relationship. And at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's tech or digital or whatnot, change is about people, isn't it? And you need to understand what is keeping people up at night in terms of those senior stakeholders and people on the front line and decision makers, what's got them worried, what's their drivers, what are their motivations, what are their priorities. And if you can understand that to whatever level, then you're on you're part part of the way there because you've got the basis to build a relationship and continue that throughout the duration of whatever it is you're trying to do. Would you say that's yourself and SCW's biggest challenge? You're probably not wrong, to be honest, Ben. Definitely, if not the biggest, probably in the top three. You know, people in the NHS, you would have heard the expression, it's like herding cats. It's such a big organisation. There's so many people, there's so many stakeholders, groups and organisations and going back to behaviors and cultures, you know, chuck all that in there and trying to get people to do one thing at the same time is near on impossible. So you've got to do your best to steer things in a way that allows as much of that at the same time with the same messages as possible. But look, it's very, very hard. So, you know, aim for the stars and you know you might get somewhere you know just above the ground you know you've got to set the vision and the purpose to to try and get there but have a, a healthy dollop of realism that you probably won't and as long as you can accept that and do the best you can with what you've got then you know we do all right yeah it's interesting i think even across the wider organizations with you have mergers that are going on um, between, obviously, different sort of ICSs and ICBs, one having an EPR that might be old, another one wanting to assess whether they want to, as they're merging, adopt that EPR or look to get a new one in while they can. It just seems everywhere you turn, there's, there's decision makers and stakeholders that are not going to effectively deliberately slow down the process, but just needs to be a lot around it in terms of starting out in the right way. Uh, give you the direction they're looking to go. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to that 18 month plus duration for a change of this scale, you've got the transient nature of life and people, right? People move on. So who you deal with in terms of senior stakeholders at the start may be very different to who you're dealing with six months in or who you're dealing with at the end. And all of that change has to be considered, factored in, 
deal with it at the time is not much you can do around contingency so much in that in those cases but yes there's all of that to consider factor in and it's a challenge but it's a a really good challenge and i think despite those challenges or any other challenges with eprs or any big digital transformation program having the vision the purpose the main goal coming back to that i find for me personally that's very helpful i try and remind the team about that when i can and i must admit I've, i need to be better at that in terms of reminding people that this is ultimately to help hospitals deal with patients in a better way and keeping that in mind can obviously act as a motivator or a re-motivator if people have lost sight of that and it's very easy to lose sight of these things when you get into the weeds and get into the granular detail or if you get bogged down with the you know ups and downs that you you get on a big program like like uh, digital transformation and, and eprs uh, but you know coming back to those what are we here for what's the end goal is a real key thing to remind yourselves individually and to remind your teams along the way to pull them through during some lower moments. Do, do you yourself have quite a large team with SCW? There is a significant number on the program at the moment. So obviously varying in size in terms of who's full-time, people do two days a week some people do three others do the full five but yes it's a significant team it's it's a growing team and the skills and the personalities that are being brought to the table uh, really create a, a nice mix and I like to think that even in this remote world there's a bit of a team bond there but coming back to We'll call this a challenge. I don't want to imply that there's a negative here, but it's tricky to try and keep that team bond and grow that team bond when you do have a large team, when you do have a team that's growing. Because when you can't meet face to face, when there isn't a natural base, when you're dealing with, you know, a program that's spanning regions and 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 nationwide, then it's very tricky. It's not like we all meet in London every day and base ourselves from there. We're all spread across the country like everyone is now to a large degree and trying to keep the glue of a team together in that environment has presented a, a tricky situation, but it's been a, a one that I've enjoyed trying to uh, ch- uh, deliver against. So um, no, it's a, it's a good team. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that you know, the concept of you know remote working was the sort of silver lining out of the pandemic, still needing that sort of balance and that mixture of you know that uh, human interaction in, in the working day. It's um, I think the balance side of it is you know you can't have all remote or all in the office. It just it, like I say to, to drive change, particularly I'm thinking that. You know, you need to have those interactions, um, definitely. We've um, so sorry, we've had another uh, question come through from Satya, uh, basically asking how many applications have you guys integrated? Have you used any interoperability products 
if yes, may I ask which one? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if you want to uh, have, a, have a look over that and then see what your thoughts are. Uh, yes, it, thanks for the question, Satya. And I'm going to be very much on the fence with this one because I don't want to be seen as, uh, you know, promoting or favouring anything over another. So I guess in a general sense, yes, multiple applications have been used across EPRs. Uh, there's a variety of interoperability products out there. Um, I'm reluctant to go any further than that, if that's all right, Ben, because it's, uh, getting into the weeds there, and I don't want to be yeah, uh, no, definitely. come across as someone that's uh, favouring something over another and keeping it fair game. Yeah, that's understandable. Not, not no problem at all. Um, I think moving on would be quite good sort of, you know, talking a little bit about the sort of the shift with, with digital transformation um obviously sort of the healthcare industry has witnessed a, a real significant shift uh, in recent years um bringing it to an SCW point of view how you sort of you know using technology to improve services and patient outcomes going forward yes so a few things here i'd say Number one, making the most of what tools we have at our disposal already is one thing, how we're trying to leverage technology. So, for example, I referenced Microsoft 365 earlier, that very much in terms of teams landed with the NHS uh, immediately during the pandemic, and it was a very sort of harsh switch over, but a very good and necessary one. So utilizing teams and all of the products that we know and use as a, a standard now within the 365 suite forms lists planner all of that stuff under the 365 umbrella we use a lot of both internally with the work we do but also externally with customers and with clients and and end users there's obviously the piece around user-centered design we're trying to look at getting more into that space as a commissioning support unit so looking at how we can leverage technology but base it around the user and how they interact how they can use the functionality and maximize it because there's nothing worse than rolling something out everyone smiling and nodding and then the uptake once you start gathering your data is minimal to low and yes. it's that tells you everything that well this despite your best efforts hasn't landed in the way that it was intended so obviously there's work to be done there about uncovering people's blockers what are they finding problematic what problems is it solving or most likely not solving yeah. and what is it about the old ways that they like and stick to that the new ways could perhaps with a bit of training with a bit of guidance with a bit of xyz they can get more au fait with and get more used to and actually once they're used to it they'll start seeing the benefits but it's it's a it's a hard it's sort of chicken and egg scenario sometimes trying to 
showcase this stuff before you do the switch over is is obviously key and all of that engagement and training and user testing is is massive but you know you, you, there's definitely a bit of no matter how well planned your project or program is there's always an element of suck it and see isn't there when you go live with something new there's always something that comes out the woodwork that you weren't quite anticipating or weren't anticipating to the to the degree that it's materialized so again leveraging the tech is is one thing but it's it's about the people so really where scw come in is to make sure people are on board they understand they see the benefits and we work with stakeholders very much in that manner interesting can you uh, re- reference reference any sort of completed programs that you've done with scw to sort of uh, reiterate what you've, you've sort of gone over there well probably the most sensible and logical one would be that microsoft 365 rollout that we did across the south with clinical commissioning groups like i mentioned earlier ccgs as they were at the time before moving into the ics world so everyone in ccgs all the gp practices within those ccg footprints as they were then plus ourselves was a massive undertaking you know we're talking tens and tens of thousands of users yes the upgrade itself was a relatively i say that in inverted commas straightforward switch over but again the big challenges with that were understanding the new tools that are now available to you it's not just a case of right you've got a new version of word excel powerpoint and outlook which at a base level you could see it as simply that as a change but actually you've got access to all of this stuff power bi power apps like i was mentioning earlier forms lists planner to do is a whole raft under the 365 umbrella that people that are naturally tech savvy will go and find that stuff and get on with it and learn it themselves. There'll be a group in the middle roughly that with a bit of guidance, a bit of handholding will like it, understand it, take it on. And in effect, you could leave them to it. But then there's a vast way of people that, okay, that's lovely. What does it mean for me? What's it going to do for me? How's it going to improve my working day? And obviously that group's the hardest to touch and the hardest to get at. And we, we got there in the end, but it was a, yeah, it was a longer than anticipated process because the change involved the stakeholder management, the engagement, the testing, the showcasing, the understanding how the licensing works as you'll probably know more than than i do ben the, the whole microsoft licensing world is a universe in its own own right yeah. isn't it yeah. uh, you know if you think of marvel comics you know the thor universe and the iron man universe i, I feel like licensing is its own thing so there's understanding that and getting the organizations to apply the right settings in the background and then there's obviously the usability side and getting people to actually use it and when they do use it how they can share how they can collaborate how they lock things down so big project definitely a lot of bumps but got there in the end it was successfully rolled out 
it's still ongoing in terms of that user engagement, getting people around to the idea of easier taster sessions on forms. Here's to here's where to go for that, and you know questions and queries about how these tools can be used in order to do certain things and how access needs to be opened up or locked down in order to share and collaborate. So it's not something that you can say is ever done and dusted because those things with the 3653 continue changes all the time with the upgrades. So yeah, that'd be a good example to reference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, really interesting. A little bit of an insight in terms of uh, what you've done and utilizing experiences there to, to almost around probably people management again going forward with the EPR side of things. And um, we've had another question come through from uh, Rachel basically asking what strategies do you think can be employed to overcome challenges in exchanging patient data security, uh, securely sorry, and efficiently across various healthcare providers. Um, so probably linking a little bit back onto what we were talking about and sort of the data exchange with the EPRs. Yes, so fundamentally you need to understand all of your access and permissions and get that documented, understand what is meant to be shared, what can be shared. Getting that understanding down is fundamental, right? And then strategy-wise, it's around getting all of your data protection impact assessments done, IEG agreements in place, liaising with the right stakeholders, consulting with all the various groups. I wouldn't say there's any one size fits all strategy, referencing what I said earlier about a multifaceted approach. It all depends on what what data it is, who you're looking to exchange it with, when, why, and then tailoring your strategy and your response accordingly and seeing what level of response is required there's you know certainly schools of thought that you know applying certain levels of access and restrictions across the board is one way to go but there's more pragmatic schools of thought that you tailor things in order to suit the requirements and it all comes back to requirements right what what is it that people want, need, and at what time? So understanding that all, all at first and then looking at, right, what's our approach to suit that particular scenario would be, in my experience, but that I'm not a, an IEG or a, a data expert by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm sure there would be more learned colleagues that would be able to answer that question a bit better. I think on that as well, you sort of mentioned about the time, depending on how you, long you've got to achieve what's needed, probably depends on on your answer there a little bit, I imagine as well. Um, Absolutely. So you're, you're looking at sort of the challenges to ensuring patient data securely. Well, going back to obviously, if you haven't got the team in place, you're going to need to effectively get the team in place to even before you get going with the work. So, you know, it's linking that sort of a recruitment side of things and, you know, going forward. So I guess individual organizations will be at different stages depending on what they need. Absolutely. 
you know, digital maturity in every organization is different in terms of your makeup of your people and personalities. You might have a particularly tech savvy senior leadership team. You might not have a particularly tech savvy senior leadership team. You might have a, a, a people in your organization that are really hot on data exchange and IG, whereas other organizations may need to get that type of skill set or need access to that type of skill set more so because they don't have it as much to hand in house. So absolutely, it all depends on the makeup of your organization. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how sort of that falls a lot back on sort of the strategy and where the strategy implementation is up to. Um, particularly with SCW, I think it'd be quite interesting for people to know sort of how do they sort of foster the culture, you know, of you know, continuous learning and improvement, you know, around that sort of strategy implementation. Absolutely. So multiple ways as always, but I'd say some key ones, you know, staff forms and groups internally is a big thing that SCW does very well at. And we have forms and groups specifically on improvement there's a quality service improvement and redesign program which is an internal program that anyone can sign up for and it gives participants exposure to continuous improvement tools skills methodologies there's a bit of lean thinking in there exposure to kanban boards tools like that that are used as a matter of course in a lot of organizations, but maybe aren't quite as universally well known within certain segments of certainly our organization or the NHS as a whole. So that's a, a really big driver because anyone, whatever level can join that. And there's varying degrees of course length and size, and you can become a practitioner and start teaching the course yourself. And there's a vast way of the organizations in organization that's done that but both with that program and whatever it is that you're trying to change there's the use of champions and that's another thing that SEW does very well and when it comes to continuous improvement I think the use of champions whether it's lean thinking whether it's a Microsoft 365 whether it's a big digital transformation change whether it's a HR consultation you know, having champions that can are more knowledgeable. They are the go-to, especially when you've got a big organization with thousands of people, with different directorates, and there's different cultures and personalities within those directorates. Having champions that are putting out a consistent centralized message, they're the go-to points. They're the knowledgeable ones regarding whatever it is that's being cascaded. And with continuous improvement, we have those. I would say that the forums, the groups, the quality service improvement redesign program are all geared around continuous improvement. And I think what that does as a combo is provide people with that mindset that, you know what, there could be a better way of doing things just because we're doing it this way doesn't mean that's the best way. So it's not about undoing what, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Obviously there's that pragmatic approach and people adopt that uh, as and when but where there's things that mm, you know what we need to scale up how can we do things better 
you know that mindset to continuously improve is seeped in through from the ground up through these types of forms groups programs and use of champions yeah it definitely seems that part of the culture of uh, NHS South Central and West as well in terms of that collaborative innovation but stemming into the culture of what an organisation looking to do to effectively improve you know, patient outcomes and, and healthcare in general um, I, I, I think sort of one thing that we're sort of finding in the market at the moment is a lot of sort of EPR people wanting EPR people uh, a lot yeah. of organisations wanting people all at the same time uh, wanting obviously they're all different mentioned digital maturity and different EPR stages how does sort of SCW go out about falling back on their own sort of you know cultural ways of working to make sure that they they've got the most talent to help with their sort of programs and projects yeah it's a a juicy question isn't it ben so at, totally with you first and foremost on that challenge is very real you know to be brutal about it we're all fishing in the same pool in terms of looking for talent resource and sometimes with people with particular skill sets there's not many of them and they're hard to come by so i think we take a common sense approach here at scw we ultimately are flexible we're willing to compromise we are offering an environment that ultimately people can grow people can learn people can bring transferable skills in from other sectors we're very open-minded about that. It's not all about, well, you must have X, Y, Z experience or 10 years of this minimum, otherwise you're not going to get considered. We'll be very open in that sense to, okay, if it's not healthcare, how is what you applied in your previous sector, could it be applied in healthcare? And as long as we can see those lateral thinkers and those people that can apply things from one setting to another and can articulate complicated or what might seem on the surface complicated stuff into layman speak and can talk on the level to whatever audiences that they're talking to then we're all ears and obviously flexible working arrangements are another sort of strand of when I say we're flexible right you know we all predominantly work at home but there's that hybrid model for people if they need it there's the office model if people want to go back in um there's obviously part-time full-time we do and flex things to ensure right okay what works for you and what works for the needs of us and whatever program people are being assigned to are met so it's never a rigid someone five days a week all or nothing if it's another arrangement that we can work up then we'll do that and obviously we'll do that in partnership you know that's that probably another key point just to finish off on that one is we're very much a collaboration organization we're here to support the nhs we're here to work with other nhs organizations other non-nhs organizations in the delivery of nhs work so Hopefully that provides some sort of answer to you, Ben. Yeah, I think it's it's a good insight for people watching to sort of see how SCW maybe 
stand out against other organizations that might be solely focused on themselves in terms of obviously the need and the challenges that they're facing. Um, I do know from obviously dealing with SCW and how they conduct themselves and go about things, they're, they're always looking for that collaborative way of working and a, a more sort of realistic approach to how they hire the best talent uh, in the market. So I think with more and more of the challenges that'll happen in terms of the recruitment side of it going forward, with the, the need ever rising for EPR specialists, I think that's definitely going to stand you as an organize you as an organization out against others. Um, and I think that'll it kind of stems back to the culture again, doesn't it? In terms of people wanting to work for the for an organization that, you know, what's the reasoning behind it all? Um, so yeah, no, really interesting there. We, we we've spoken sort of a lot around challenges around you know EPR and and, and where you're sort of up to in terms of you know, the team and, and SCW as a general, but quite interesting to sort of know a little bit more about yourself in terms of what your sort of specific future aspirations are and goals for for driving strategy and transformation. Uh, particularly within SCW. Yes, uh, going back to that continuous improvement discussion earlier, developing ways to further embed that, trying to think in that continuous improvement mindset, despite those forms groups, the QSAR program, and the other things I mentioned earlier, there's always other ways, right? could be potentially better or better utilized at another time you know what the makeup of what we've got now might be good for now but uh, this time next year it might look a bit different i think you know my personal aspirations would be around supporting the younger generation within scw we've got a really good graduate scheme with some frighteningly good graduates coming through it uh, when I think back to how I was at that age, early 20s coming out of university, I was nowhere near the level of maturity on a personal level that these these guys are. They're just incredible in terms of their knowledge, their ability to pick things up and run with it, get things right first time. So supporting them because they're going to be the future leaders. They're going to be the ones that we hand the baton on to, right? You know, I think of jobs and roles is almost like steward, stewardship in a, in a funny way. You know, you're you're taking on, whether it's EPRs, whether it's digital change, whatever it is, is the thing, the baton, you know, you're looking after it and doing the best you can to improve it during your time. And then it's adding on to the next one. So supporting this young generation is a big part of, of, of my sort of aspirations for the future. And just continuing to be going back to collaboration, you know, supporting SEW on a personal level with trying to be that collaborative organization for digital transformation programs and projects within the NHS. You know, we're not the only guys in the game. We know we don't have all the answers, but we're certainly willing to join up with as many people as possible to find the right answers. So learning from ourselves within ourselves and from outside is is a big thing to you know for because personal growth will mean team growth which will mean organizational growth and i'm talking about expertise here not money so you know that would be my things there the, the continuous improvement culture the younger generations and that collaborative way of working trying to embed and develop those three things would be 
you know, amongst my uh, aspirations for sure. Interesting. Um, just on what you're saying there, we've had a, another question come through from Natalie asking, uh, do you have any useful links for students that you can share with uh, CYP Nurses Network? I'm, I will be able to yeah that could be something we take off line Natalie so again thanks for the question I will certainly be able to reach out to people who can get you some some links there so uh, maybe that's one Ben that we can tackle and amongst many I'm yeah. sure there'll be other questions that I've, I've not seen uh, that we can uh, address offline so that that would definitely be one to um, that I can take away and come back to you on yeah, definitely get that sort of insight from an SCW point of view there to help, definitely. Um, I think one way to sort of finish it up, I, I quite like to do on these is NHS gets a bit of obviously a, a bad reputation in, in terms of the news and the media um, doesn't seem to highlight the wins as, it, as much as it does the, the, the bad news and the losses. Um, for anyone sort of aspiring, you know, in the healthcare professional industry to get into as a career, particularly around sort of strategy and transformation, any sort of advice that you know someone could take on and make a bit of a positive impact going forward? Absolutely. So you're right, NHS does take a battering, but one key point I would say for anyone coming in looking to make that impact, be resilient, persevere. As with anything, any type of change, big or small, things don't always happen overnight and rarely do. So, you know, it's something that comes with time and experience I guess to a degree but having that resilience having that get up and go the next day start afresh see what you can do today okay put whatever happened today behind you that would be key coming back to how SCW I like to think we are and certainly would like to develop more ways in which we can become more of this but being open and flexible to ideas working practices and approach not thinking that your way is the right way would be a, a key thing being keeping your mind open keeping your ears and eyes you know and arms open not to be too cheesy about it to what other people are saying what other people are putting forward in terms of suggestions and ideas you know there's no such thing as a stupid question no such thing as a stupid idea document it flesh it out it might get binned so what let's see what else what what else is on the art of the possible right and i think probably the final thing which is something i've probably banged on about quite a bit through throughout this chat is focus on the people i would always say that doesn't matter how jazzy how shiny your new tech is how flash it might be how slick the sales pitch might be from whatever supplier think about how is this going to be used? How will it affect people? How will it make things better for them? What problems does this technology solve for people in their day-to-day -day lives? And if you keep that in mind and always return to that, I think, you know, the resilience, the perseverance, the open and flexible mindset and uh, keeping it on the people, both delivering this stuff and the people on the other end receiving it, you know, you can go a long way. No, that's really uh, it's a really good sort of ending there in terms of an overview in terms of where we're up to. Obviously, a lot of what we talked around sort of EPR specific challenges where people 
what we're doing it for is people. I think having people at the heart of whatever it is actions we're doing going forward in the NHS as a whole is, is fundamentally what it's all about, isn't it? So it's it's about improving the quality of people going forward in their healthcare. So yeah, no, really uh, succinctly put there at the end. So uh, no, thank you for that, uh, Richard. Um, I think that's a great sort of way to end it. Um, wanted to thank you again for your time. Appreciate how busy you you are at the moment. Um, obviously in, in the work that you're doing, the multiple programs that you're running. So no, I think uh, everyone watching is grateful for your time and just to get that insight with with you, what SCW are doing, and obviously sort of the, the real estate day to day challenges that you know a lot of people will probably have similar examples that they're coming that they're going through with their organisations. So bit of a common commonality there in terms of what we can do maybe going forward to overcome these challenges uh, whether that's a better way of recruiting or a better way of understanding but ultimately falling back on that that people management side of things so thank you no and thank you ben very grateful for the invite and the opportunity to share some things so uh, i really appreciate it if you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to feature on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Ben Cook, the account lead, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at ben.cook at evolution-contract.co.uk or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.